Thank you for tuning in. Times like now for past episodes. You can go wherever you get your podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, Google, etc. I'm Trevor Collins, and today I'm talking with Pete Miser, hip-hop artist originally from Portland, Oregon, now in New York. I learned why he left his band, The Five Fingers of Funk, and how he became the DJ for pop singer Dido. What's he been up to since COVID, and much more on this episode, Times Like Now. Hello, Pete. Welcome in. Thanks for joining me here on uh, on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. And it's it's good to uh, yeah, it's good to talk to you as well. Um, let me see. I first heard you and heard your music back in probably 90, 1995 there in Portland, mm-hmm. Belmont Inn, Five Fingers of Funk at the Belmont Inn. You got like a regular band there. You guys played there all the time. We played everywhere all the time. I mean, we had, when we started out, I had this philosophy. I, I was the band leader in, you know, the front man and as well as the kind of guy who did all the booking. And I went to every venue and said, I don't care if a band cancels on you last minute. I don't care if, you know, we'd be opening up for some like weird punk rock band. We want to play every show possible and so yeah so belmont was just one of the spots that that we locked down and we played there a lot and i think i remember one night in particular where we played four hours straight no breaks (laughs) that was a uh that was a a real band i mean that was what what 10 people in that band yourself and dj chill yeah usually nine usually nine piece usually is a nine nine but right uh, horn section, funky, funky sound. You guys were uh, more influenced by, I don't know, Brown and, and Bootsy Collins and and the, man, the, the the funk in that band. Perfect name, obviously, a perfect name for, for that group. Yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like we were kind of like, the way I would describe it is um, imagine James Brown's band with, with MCs and a DJ, you know? Because like that was the, we were into playing the music, playing stuff that sounded like what would get sampled during that era. Right. So. Yeah. Um, God, uh, up and down the West Coast, you played everywhere from BC and uh, Colorado and uh, Montana and all over the place. Uh, you guys were on the like Road Warriors. Yeah. That was back when that was, you know, and that's what you did. Um yeah, we played the Roseland in New York. We played Tipitina's in New Orleans. You know, never had a label, never really had real management. I mean, unless you count me, but I wouldn't count me as real management. <laughs> um, it's funny. It's really, it's really funny to compare that to this era. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day about the fact that we had a $500 a month long distance phone bill, you know, because that's pre-cell phone. And we were doing this without cell phones and we were doing it without Google maps. And we were doing it without, we would, we had like a $350 a month postage bill because we would send postcards to people, you know, sorted by zip code to say, we're going to be in your area. So come to the show. I mean, it was just absurd, totally absurd. We drive around in a van with a, with a, road atlas you know balanced on the steering wheel this made no i mean i can't i i really cannot believe that we got away with that the only 
The only thing that makes sense to me is the fact that that was such a huge barrier for a band to be doing their thing that it was just only only the brave and stupid who did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you had to be tough, had to be resilient, had to be, you know, had to be passionate about doing it because yeah, I'm sure it was a, a long haul and, a, and it was a different world. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember waking. So I remember waking up in uh, in in the van. Like I slept in because it's nine people, right? So we'd play a show, and sometimes the venue would put us up, and sometimes there wasn't just room for nine people. So I slept in the van one night in Wyoming in the Grand Tetons, and I woke up and my whole water bottle was just frozen solid as ice it was just like just in just dumb just dumb the stuff we did that is dedication um so i wanted to touch a little bit about uh maybe your early influences how did you get into the hip-hop game what drew you to it and what was uh i guess i mean portland oregon not exactly the hip-hop mecca of of the united states Mm -hmm. how did you get into it um a, a pivotal moment for me was being at a track meet and some kid was playing run DMC uh, rock box. And I just was like, yo, what is that? You know? And he said, Oh, it's, it's run DMC. And so I went to music millennium and I was, you know, I was embarrassed cause I didn't know it made no sense to me. So I didn't know if I was asking for run DMC or run the DMC, like the DMC is a thing or something. I just didn't, but I asked for, I asked for it and I bought the tape and, um, and yeah, man, it was just like, it's really significant that what attracted me to the music is the fact that I didn't know if it was music. I didn't know if it qualified as music, you know, it was so, abrasive in some ways so much swag um and so not melodic you know but i just couldn't stop listening to it and then the first rhymes i wrote well it turns out that i wrote a poem for like an english class that when i looked back uh totally was it rhymed and it totally fell in meter. It could totally be performed over a four, four beat, which is kind of odd and coincidental. But I also, uh, yeah, my first rhymes were basically just direct run DMC (laughs) ripoffs. Well, I mean, that's what the beastie boys did too. Yeah. You've been doing a daily rap, a daily rhyme Mm -hmm. on Facebook. I've been seeing this on your Instagram as well. Mm -hmm. Every day, one minute long, what brought that on? And, and, you know, what was that just doing COVID times? You know, you're not doing shows. What is this just how you're keeping yourself busy? Um, so I first, I call it, I call it my morning 16. Um, for people who don't know, 16 bars is the average, uh, you know, that's the standard hip hop verse. Um, I think it was something like 2005. Uh, I had read, um, on writing by Stephen King. And it's, it's a book about his process. And he talked about just, you know, every day I sit down and write, it's just my day job. Um, and so I got the idea for the morning 16 every morning. First thing I'm going to do is write a verse. It's, you know, I'm going to wake up, make my bed, drink coffee, write a verse. And it was really explicitly the point was, this is not, 
this is not song material. This is writing exercise. So no one's ever going to hear this. It's just to get the juices flowing and to get it. It was important to just get it out of my way and then I can get on with my day, right? So if I had a 6 a.m. flight, I would wake up a half hour early, write a rhyme, any rhyme. It could suck. That's fine as long as I did it and then, you know, get my flight and then get on with my day. So um, I would write a rhyme and then I'd go to the studio and I would write the songs I was working on or the music I was working on. Um, So when I first did it, I did it for a year and a half every single day. Um, And then I would take, you know, took a break for six months. It wasn't really that organized. You know, I'd take some sort of long break and then I'd come back to it. Um, My mom passed in 2012 and just kind of as a therapeutic thing, I, I went back to it and wrote every day. Um, and then discovered that everything was on theme and it was basically an album. So kind of broke with the rule and turned it into an album and and actually released that. It's called Depression Era Thinking. Um, And so recently my dad died in February. And so part of this is just trying to get my head right um, and just the therapeutic writing. Um, part of it is to, I mean, literally, I'm, so I've also gone through periods where I make a track every day, right? So this is, I'm expanding the whole thing. This is, I'm making a track every day, I'm writing a verse, I'm recording it, and then I'm making a lyric video so I can post it on Instagram. And it takes a long ass time. And, you know, so, um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not in a grief state during those four or five hours. I'm in a flow state. You know, people talk about artist flow state and I, I have this fortunate ability to get into a flow state pretty much at will, whether it's visual art or, or musical. Let's hear just a little bit of a recent one. Morning 16. <laughs> April 18th, 2021 I made an old school beat Ay. Kick a little rhyme Here go Pete in his prime Quick to spit the type of shit that sit deep in your mind They say seek and you'll find I say watch what you wish for My tank's on full I got my pole in a ripcord I spit till my lips sore Can't vote for me Even birthday cakes can't hold a candle to pee Man handle the meat Till they inherit the earth My lyrics a miracle Some compare it to birth That sit deep so- in your mind your your days back in Portland and and the uh, the coming to an end of F three, you went off to to Brooklyn to New York. Mm-hmm. What uh, what what made you want to? I mean, F three was kind of at at a peak. You guys were doing great, and then you just pulled plug and off to New York with you. What motivated that? Yeah, that was really impulsive. Um, I mean, New York moving to New York was impulsive. Um, we just kind of had interband strife. Uh, which is not uncommon, I guess. Uh, looking back now, I wish I would have stuck it out a little longer. Well, on on one hand, I wish I would have stuck it out a, a little longer because we were talking to labels and things were starting to happen and who knows what, what would have happened. On the other hand, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, great, a lot of great things that have happened in my life that wouldn't have happened had I stayed there. But um, 
yeah, so it was mostly just kind of interband stuff. And then I had quit the band and then I thought, well, if I stay in Portland, the band is such a huge part of my identity that I'll probably just slip back into it. So let me, you know, I was like a girlfriend that you got to quit sleeping with. Um, so I just impulsively moved to New York without any kind of sense that I was going to keep doing music. I didn't know really? what I was going to do. Yeah. How did, uh, did, did you go to New York and start performing? Did you continue doing, doing shows or did you start booking yourself and, and down that road or how did you transition? I did, I did end up doing that. I mean, it wasn't, um, so I, it's, it's funny. So I DJed, uh, a bunch of parties when I got to New York, but I had DJed this party and there, and, uh, this guy, one of the people that kind of closed the party down that was there to the end is this guy who was a drummer. And he said, yeah, I'm in a band with an artist and we've got a DJ in the band. It's really cool. Her name is Dido. Um, and she, uh, so she had a DJ, but he cut out with five days before the next tour. And so they scrambled to find a DJ, did a bunch of auditions and uh, and hired me. So that's kind of how I got back into music. Um, and the first show I did with her, she came backstage with a CD saying, Eminem just sent me this. They sampled my voice. They want permission to use my voice. What do you guys think? Should I should I give them permission? And we, we were all like, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, and she was like, yeah. I, I mean, she's like, yeah, I like Eminem. I'm, I'm going to do it. And then it just, exploded from there i mean just so it's funny to go from being in a van on tour with nine guys nine smelly dudes all in one van to flying business class to australia you know and staying at the four seasons yeah so i mean obviously new york it was a it was a good thing it turned out well for you i mean that's a it's an amazing turn of events like that. That's yeah. Right place, right, right. time. That's pretty amazing. Exactly. And then I had a, then I built a music studio in um, Tribeca. And so that's where I recorded radio free Brooklyn and camouflages relative and honest mistakes. Um, and my studio was housed in a business that did music for film and television and commercials. And so when they needed hip hop stuff, they would ask me to work on that stuff. So I did ended up doing a lot of music for film and television and that kind of thing. Yeah. I saw that you did, uh, what was that? Bacardi spots. <laughs> yeah. 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 Some Bacardi stuff, a bunch of really hard hitting Revlon music. Um, <laughs> I did a, I have like my from from my advertising music portfolio is uh my panty liner commercial that never that never ran. You know, like the the way that works is the company will have people do demos. And the demos are either not paid or very little pay. And then if you win the spot, then you get paid, right? So um if it's Coca-Cola and it's some big national thing, they'll literally get they'll get 50 pieces of music from people composing a fresh piece of music. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I demoed for this panty liner thing and man, 
I swear to God, that might be the best piece of music I ever made is my Panty Liner song. <laughs> I hope that sees, uh, I hope you get that out there. I should, I should have sent it to you to play on the show, on the show. Make a million with that one. Yep. Um, so yeah, you've done movies as well. Uh, I was at ESPN stuff as well. Uh, what have you been doing in 2020, 2021 with, with COVID? Uh, I mean, are you just locked in the studio what what have you been doing with your time over there? I have been locked in the studio, um, in a makeshift studio because I'm in upstate New York. My girlfriend and I just bolted from Brooklyn in in March, so we've been up here for more than a year, and we're in super rural ass Rensselaerville, New York. Um, I mean, so I literally might see two cars pass by the house during the day. Um. Uh. So I set up a little makeshift studio. I'm working on the secret project that we discussed earlier. Um, the uh, well, we may as well just say it: the Five Fingers of Funk album. I'm doing a reunion album with Five Fingers of Funk, um, and that's all remote, which is an interesting project. To you know, it's interesting to get together with those dudes remotely. Um, and then I'm mixing an album for Drez from Black Sheep. Um, that is recorded over he met he met uh Jay Dilla's mom um a couple years ago and she i guess had uncovered a bunch of beats that nobody knew about and said do you want to record an album on these Jay Dilla beats and he said uh yes very much <laughs> and um <laughs> and so uh I'm mixing that album and it's getting close to and then and, and I'm always I'm a very self-motivated person, so um been doing a lot of artwork and and doing I've learned a lot of video stuff, so I've done some video projects up here and yeah, I'm, I my Netflix my Netflix watching is not very on point, but my productivity is pretty on point. Writing letters too. I've been writing a lot of letters. Like like handwritten? Yeah. Like the old style, yeah, cool, yeah. I've been doing that too, writing, uh, writing to a couple friends that way, yeah, uh, buying a buying a stamp and the whole thing, yeah. yeah. So you did a a, a piece speaking of F three. That's amazing about the Five Fingers of Funk reunion album. Um, that's that's amazing. I can't wait to hear it. Hear how what you're doing there. I mean, that's exciting to to, to talk about. But we'll leave that for the uh for the surprise whenever that's going to happen but you did do a song with those guys um what was that um take the weight who's going to take the weight yeah who's who's going to take the weight right what was that about and and what brought what motivated that i mean that was a a rather political uh political tune or political rap yeah it's it's actually funny um i i think of myself as having a lot of political stuff um even with old five fingers uh there was a lot of politics in what i would write um but uh but then i think i went through a period where i felt like who am i to talk about politics i, I you know I f- i'm i know i'm more educated in active than the average American in terms of politics. But, um, but then I have a community of friends that really put their money where their mouth is. And I just feel like, oh, well, 
maybe you can make some argument that I that I serve a purpose as a voice piece or um, a loudspeaker for what they're talking about, but it's still, you know, still a, a some source of inner conflict for me. But who's going to take the weight? So yeah, Five Fingers. We've been working on a, a bunch of songs. Um, and we were all just kind of worked up over the election. And so we, um, fast tracked that song so that it could, I don't know, in, in an ideal world, inspire the, the masses to, to get involved in the, you know, the theme of it is, uh, we can post and complain on Instagram, but who's going to do the dirty work of, you know, I mean, some of the stuff I did, I, I did phone banking during the election. I, I hand wrote hundreds of postcards to, to voters in Florida that uh, were probably purged off the voter rolls, but didn't know it. Um, you know, who's going to, who's going to do the real stuff that's required to actually participate in democracy and, and I want to play just a little bit of that. Who's going to take the weight from Five Fingers of Funk and Pete Miser? John Lewis, uh-huh. rest in peace. 2020's definitely testing me. Wish this vicious year would let me be. But in his honor, I won't let it get to me. Tell him. Stay strong, soldier on. Sometimes you know you're right because you're told you're wrong. Sometimes you want to give up when the odds are long. But sometimes the game ends checkmate by pawn. Word. That's what it's about. It's a lifetime struggle and we're toughing it out. Play the long game, maintain faith through the pain. And in his name, let's aim for a positive change. Okay. Tell me what it's going to take and who's going to take the weight. Tell me what it's going to take and who's going to take the weight. Yeah, I was I was really impressed to see that, you know, hit the Internet right at the right time. And and I know it got a lot of views and um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about again bounce back bouncing all over the place um your early influences and I mean you're a, a very unique MC I've I've never really I don't know if I can compare you to anybody a really unique flow and style and delivery in what you do where did that come from what was some of your earliest inspirations in your in, as you developed your style and your sound that is really funny to hear because I often worry that I have the most stale flow <laughs> in hip hop. <laughs> um, you know, like it's it's just like literally a concern when I sit to write. I think, all right, how do I make this not sound boring? Because I, I actually, I so, there's kind of a bunch of different rabbit holes I can go down with this, but um, so as far as influences is concerned. Um, I mean, I'm, and it's funny, I don't know, I wonder if my influences show up in the final result, but, um, I mean, Rakim is just kind of a gold standard. Uh, Chuck D for a long time was my fave. Um, BDP. I mean, basically all the, all the rappers that all the rappers talk about right um uh andre 3000 um de la soul i mean a lot of people don't i feel like people don't understand 
De La Soul's first album is just a phenomenal album in terms of uh, rhyme styles because almost every song has a different way of delivering the, their verses, um, like a different rhyme scheme. And, uh, and they're rhyme schemes that no one else ever did except in a few rare examples, in which case people said, oh, that sounds like De La Soul. You know, De La Soul's first album is is just phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've got some, I've I've got a lot of influences, but I don't know. I don't I don't know who. I don't know who I sound like though. That's that's my point. I I I don't think you do sound like anyone. Huh. The 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 writing that you do, um, it's. I want to say chewy. It makes your brain chew on it. There's there's so much thought involved, and and I I think probably time that you put in to writing a, a verse, let's say, or an entire song, um, your word selection, your rhyme patterns and rhythms, it just it, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of wandering off topic a little bit, but what I hear coming out of what you produce. I don't know if I hear it anywhere else or anywhere, any anything similar to it. So that was kind of my my point. Is uh, yeah, you 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 don't really remind me of anyone. I have I have a bunch of guidelines in 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 writing. I mean, they're not you know hard guidelines, but um, so something that Common does, uh, which is a, f- a funny thing. There there are times when I feel like uh, I feel like I. S- rhyme a little like common um it's really interesting when you can when you when you're an mc and you listen to somebody do their thing and you know kind of how they landed where they landed but one thing that common does a lot is he'll he'll i'm not sure if i understand this grammatically but he'll put the subject i think he'll put the subject first he'll say something like um uh with that or that style, I'm not with it. You know, it's almost Yoda speak, mm. you know. Um, uh, that car, I didn't like it. You know, it's weird how he does that. And he does it in a way, to me, one of the main super important guidelines for writing is I want it to sound conversational. You know, there's, there's um, like Grandmaster Flash is kind of notorious for all this stuff where they put the accent on the syllable you wouldn't normally put it on in a conversation, but they do it so that it fits the rhyme better. But that always sounds super awkward to me. So I never do that. Right. Or I, or I try really hard to not do that. I was just thinking of, uh, I've been listening to some F3 and I was thinking of uh, one of your lines in there. Uh, I can't remember the first part of it is not to mention your rhymes suck like Linus. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that's an old one yeah uh, but i've always been a fan of that i've always been a fan of that one I, your your punchlines uh are have always been really fun to me and stick out in my memory thank you i i you know i work hard on the punchlines pete miser five fingers of funk what's the your website where can people hear your stuff pete miser.com is uh pretty much where it's all at Instagram, Facebook, Spot, Spotify, Apple Music, all that. Pete Miser, man, it's it's been 
a, a pleasure to talk with you for a little while. I really appreciate your time. Cool, you You're, too. Uh, three hours ahead of me over there in New York. Uh, thanks for for uh, hanging with me for a little while today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in two times like now. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts: Spotify, Pandora, Google, wherever. My name is Trevor Collins. I can be reached Trevor at timeslikenow.com. Until next time. Under